You may be seated. Good morning. Hope everybody's doing all right. Yeah. Um, how many of you have finished totally your Christmas shopping? Raise your hand. Got one in the back. Anybody else? You have? Yep. And you have. Great. You don't know this, but you have just volunteered to organize our next event. <laughs> it's what you've done. So we're going to put you down. Um, Seth is writing down your names as we speak. I'm just kidding. He's not. But yeah, I still have some to do. Um, wish it was done, but you know, it's, it, it's not. Um, in my house, it's an ongoing process, you know, to, to do that. If it went for Nicole, um, it would be done, but I would have all the wrong gifts for people. So, so there's that, you know, there is, there is that. Um, how many of you do Elf on the Shelf in your house? Anybody? A couple of people do Elf on the Shelf? All right, I, I have some pictures um, that might be disturbing, but they're going to be pictures nonetheless. These are just some that I find funny that I run across every now and then during the season. Here's one of them. <laughs> yep, that's good. Here's the next one. You know, there's some, you know, taking care of the snowman. There, that's cute. And uh, this, this is brilliant right here. The snowman Nose Rejection Center. So they're going through it. Yeah. I have a friend of mine, and I don't have this photo because I went to look for it and couldn't find it. But he has Elf on the Shelf with Mr. Potato Head. And it's that same thing except for there's French fries coming out of the bottom, you know. So they're doing that. So that's, that's funny. And just forgive me for this one, but this is my favorite out of all of them, and I, I love this one. And here it is. <laughs> and the children were crying. Is <laughs> what, what happened? So to kind of bring it back up to positive, here's a cute one right here. That's sweet. Yeah, because that's the way we like it, guys and girls, Barbie. Yeah, that, that's just the way it is. Yeah, um, you know, that's all based on, like, Elf in the Shelf. If you do something wrong, the elf will go tell Santa that you did something wrong, and then you might not get gifts. Um, I don't know about you, but in my day, it was belt on the shelf <laughs> is, is what cured that. So kids are just so soft these days, right? So soft. Um, to start this morning, this sermon, um, we're going to talk about a guy in the Bible, actually two guys at the beginning, and one of them wanted his enemies to be cursed. So he, he had these enemies, they were invading his land, and he wanted his enemies to be cursed. And, and so what he did was he went and sought the counsel of a prophet of the Lord. And what he wanted the prophet of the Lord to do is he wanted the prophet of the Lord to come and curse his enemies. Now, that sounds all, all great, right? Like if you have enemies... Like, and, and there's people against you, you might would pray that God would take care of them or that they would be taken out or something like that. But the problem with this particular guy is the people that he wanted to have cursed were actually the children of God. It was the children of Israel. And this guy's name was Balak. He was a king. And so he knew that these people were the children of the living God. And so he went to their that God's prophet, in order to bring that God's prophet of these people to their location 
to curse them. And that makes no sense, does it? I'm going to petition the God that's over these people to curse these people. It just makes absolutely no sense for him to do that. But hey, there's been fools from the beginning of time, right? People that don't think through these things, right? And so he contacts Balaam. And at first, God tells Balaam not to go. And so Balaam wasn't going to go. He's the prophet. And over the course of events and, and the power of money and, and uh, that particular type of influence and power, Balaam decides to go. And you would know Balaam probably from the fact that a donkey talked to him, right? A donkey talked to him. And uh, what I think is interesting in that story, we're not going to get into this today, but the donkey said exactly what God wanted the donkey to say to Balaam. And then Balaam becomes the donkey later saying exactly what God wants him to say to, to Balak. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's kind of a neat parallel there, but we're not going to get into that today. But so, so Balaam comes. And I would like you to turn in your Bibles to Numbers chapter 24. And we are going to uh, look at the fourth time that Balaam prophesied concerning the children of Israel. Uh, Balak wanted him to curse him. The first time, he didn't curse him. He blessed him. The second time, he didn't curse him. He blessed him. And the third time, the same way. And then we get to Numbers chapter 24. And this is the final time. This is uh, the fourth time that uh, Balaam does this particular thing. And it, we're going to begin reading in verse 15. And this is his final oracle. He's looking at the children of Israel, and this is what it says. It says, The oracle of Balaam, the son of Beor, the oracle of the man whose eye is opened, the oracle of him who hears the words of God and knows the knowledge of the Most High, who sees the vision of the Almighty falling down with his eyes uncovered. And then verse 17, it says, I see him now, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel, and it shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down all the sons of, of Seth, or Sheth, rather. So verse 17, I see him. Balaam is seeing Jesus, is who he's seeing. What he says is, it's not now. This particular ruler isn't here now. He's in the future, and I see him. I behold him, but he's not near. He's not close to us. This is somewhere in the future. So Balaam is seeing way in the future. God is allowing him to see something on the horizon. And it says, a star shall come out of Jacob. A scepter shall rise out of Israel. This is a king. So he sees a king coming from Jacob. Some king in the future coming. And this king is represented by a star. So this is obviously Jesus Christ, right, that is coming in the future. And so whereas a lot of people probably did not understand this particular prophecy to the extent that they should have maybe, there was a group of people that did. And ironically, they were not the children of Israel that recognized this particular prophecy. Instead, it was another group of people that is part of our Christmas story and it's the wise men. So in Matthew chapter 2, which gives us the wise men's story, it says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? 
for we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. So these individuals knew of this particular prophecy. There isn't another one like it in all the scripture. And they knew that the coming Messiah would be marked with a star. Now, I've, <clears throat> I've dabbled in this for a very long period of time, and I've come to the conclusion that that particular star was a miraculous event. There's a lot of people that kind of, we can retract stars. I don't know if you know that. You, can, you have this app where you can go back in time and see the stars at different period of time and where they were and what they were doing. And there's a, there's a, um, a thread of Christianity that's teaching that this was a natural event, um, that Jupiter and Saturn and all of them were going together and this is how they moved and that was the star that they saw. I would submit to you this evening that that is not the star that they saw. The star that they saw were, was a miraculous star. And it showed up, and they followed that star all the way to Jerusalem. And the reason I think it's miraculous, in fact, I know it's miraculous, is because from that point in the story where the wise men are with Herod to the time they went to Bethlehem, that star went north to south. And stars don't do that. Stars do not go north to south. And that star flowed in that particular direction and went in that particular way. So that was a miraculous event. By the way, you know, the world goes counterclockwise, right? And so we only see stuff coming up in the east and going down in the west. And so that's why it would only travel that way. But this star went against the rotation of the earth and actually went like this. And to me, that is not beyond the power of the God I serve. And so a very miraculous star way in the Old Testament, there it is, and it's absolutely Amazing. So, a couple of things. A couple of things. First of all, God has a plan, has always had a plan for the human race. And he's always been executing it. And in this passage of scripture, we see that his plan was already in play way back in numbers. Way back then. It was already in play. Second, sometimes... God's will is for you to stay put. Okay, that's Balaam. He should have stayed put. The writers of the New Testament do not like Balaam, and for good reason. He was an evil person. He was, but he was a prophet for a while, but turned evil, did some, did some bad things, and he's accredited for, for some stuff that happened in the realm of the Israelites. So he's not seen as a good guy. If he had stayed put and just followed God, I think his pathway would have been different. I also believe that this particular prophecy would have been in a different story if he had just followed God. So sometimes God's will is for you to stay put. Here's the last one. You are not going to stop God's plan no matter how much money you have. You are not going to stop God's plan no matter if you're a king of some nation. You are not going to stop God's plan. God's plan is going to be fulfilled. So if you look at our day, if you watch the news and you think, oh my goodness, the world is falling apart. To me, that's okay because God's plan is not going to be stopped at all. He is going to achieve what he wants to do, what he has planned from the time that he created the world to the time that he comes back. God is going to fulfill his promises. We see this in Numbers. We see this here in this Matthew passages. We see it all around. So I would like to wish you 
a very Balaam Christmas. Okay. Now, let's see. Um, look around the room here and, and pick some. Uh, Patrick, how are you doing? Um, Patrick, I would like you to tell everybody maybe some Christmas traditions that your family does. What, what do they do? At, what's the tradition that you have? You have to hold that up to your mouth and then it's Well, we have a pickle in the Christmas tree. You have a pickle in the Christmas That's a tradition. Yeah, we have a bun that we do. Okay, so you try to find a pickle in the Christmas tree. Okay, all right. So it's a big, big search. All right, let me, let me look around the room for, for somebody, somebody else here. Um, Freddie, do you have any Christmas traditions? Uh, yeah, grandkids coming over on Christmas Eve open up the, everything from the pajamas to the gifts. Yeah, from the pajamas to the gifts. Yeah, awesome. So that's a that's a Christmas tradition. Let me find somebody somebody over here. Oh, Nate McCartney. Very good one. Um, what Christmas traditions do you have? Well, we're in a little bit of transition where our kids are grown now and we're trying to figure out new traditions. But historically, we historically we would always allow one gift to be open on Christmas Eve to kind of hope that the kids would sleep in a little bit longer the next one. Oh, gotcha. And how did that work out? Uh, never did. Never did. Yeah. It almost made them wake up earlier, <laughs> probably, is what that did. Well, I, I have Christmas traditions. <clears throat> um, for instance, on the 24th, I go to my parents' house, and we have Christmas there. We open up gifts. We always have barbecue. Always have barbecue. Start with breakfast. Have Stamie's barbecue. And, oh, it's so good. If you've ever had Stamie's barbecue, you know what I'm talking about. And then the next day, um, Nicole and I, for years, it's just our family. So it's just Nicole, Aurora, and Quinn. And the boyfriend will probably be a part of it this year. He's going to remain nameless for a while, but he's you know, just a boyfriend. <clears throat> He'll probably be a part of it this year. But our tradition is to have steak on Christmas. So I grill the steak, you know, do that whole thing, and it's, it's just great. It's my favorite meal of the entire year, that is. So steak is what we have. And then the very next day, we go to my in-law's house. Now, um, that's where all my nieces and nephews are. So this is how this starts. On the 24th, my parents are 84, 85 years old. And they are very chill. Like, it's a chill environment. There are no uh, cousins. I don't have any nieces or nephews on that side at all. My sister didn't have any. And so it's kind of a chill environment. It's just the excitement is just basically Quinn and Aurora and, and our family being there. That's all the excitement. So the excitement is like this. And then the very next day when we're at our own house and we're opening up our gifts and stuff like that, the excitement rises. And we, we, um, we open gifts. We, we go usually to a movie on Christmas day and we find a movie to go to and it's just kind of a great day day of bonding we have games and there isn't anybody in my house that isn't competitive at all so those are very a lot of fun so it so it rises like this and then we get to my in-laws house and it's off the chart with energy there there are so many nieces and nephews and they're all playing together there's a lot of noise there's a there's a breakfast there's opening up gifts where paper is absolutely everywhere and everybody's playing with everybody else's toys like, this one likes this person's toy better than the one they open, so they play with it, and they go back and forth into that whole environment, and it's absolutely incredible. And that does not go down until, until one particular family decides to go home. 
and, and they go home, and, it, and I'm not saying, I love it, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with this, but they have five children. So when a group of seven people leave the environment, it goes down a little bit, right? I'm not, I absolutely love them. If they're watching, you know, I, I love you, please get me a Christmas gift. That's, that, that's you know, don't want don't to hinder anybody toward Christmas. So, so anyway, that's it. But a couple of times when we've had these Christmas traditions, we have not been able to fulfill that particular plan. For instance, there's been a couple of years, more than I would like to admit, that Quinn got sick at Christmas time. And so we were not able to do one part or any of that particular Christmas time. And so it hindered our plans. It was a disruption in the plans that we had. So with that in mind, this little disruption in the plans that you have, I want you to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, and we're going to talk about a person that um, is about to get disruptive with the plans that she has, okay? She's about to get disrupted, and we'll begin reading in verse 26. <clears throat> and this is what it says. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. There you see that Mary had a plan, and so did Joseph. They were going to get married. And he came to her and said, Greetings, old favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. I want you to notice that she was not disturbed that an angel had appeared to her. The text does not say that. Because Mary understood that from time to time, angels appeared to people. It was a part of her belief system. So to have an angel appear was not something that she thought was odd. That's not what she thought was odd. And so she was wondering, what, what is his message going to be to me? That's what she was, she was wondering. She was more concerned about the message than the fact that the angel was in the room. So verse 30 says, And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. By the way, that is a hint of, no, of Numbers chapter 24, verse 17. A scepter shall rise. There will be a throne. It connects with King David, and thus it connects with Jesus. And just at the moment that you doubt that that is a connection there, uh, the writer Luke here wants to make sure that you know it is a connection. So in verse 33 it says, And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom there will be no end. So he's telling Mary that you are going to have King Jesus. So the New Testament follows this whole king thing all the way through, that he's going to come from Jacob, there's scepter going to come, and it's Jesus Christ. And this is a verse in Revelation that shows you that Jesus also says this. It says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright and morning, what? Star. Where does he get that from? He gets it from um, 
gets it from Balaam. That's where, where he gets that from. So she hears all this. And then Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? How is this going to happen? All right, let me just pause here a moment to say, I'm not sure that that would be my first question. I'm not, I'm not sure. I don't know what would happen if an angel appeared. If it ever does, I'll let you know. And then there'll be a meeting of the elders and deacons to wonder if I'm crazy, probably, is what will happen. That's kind of the way that we view that because we're not used to that. But if I had an angel meet me, the, my first question would, are you... Have you made it to the right house? I don't know how your GPS works up in heaven, but I think you might mean my neighbor, or maybe you're in the wrong Louisville, or maybe you're in the wrong spot. I don't know. Maybe you're in the wrong space. And then I would have other questions like, why are you, what are you doing? What are you here? What does this mean? I mean, there would be a lot of questions. How would not be at the top of my list? But here is Mary who has faith enough in God to not think that an angel appearing to her is weird, she hears the message, and instead of attacking the message, she wants to know how God is going to accomplish this because she is a virgin, and she is to betroth to Joseph to be married. How is this going to occur? So she asks that question, how? How? What we need to understand is that for Mary, Jesus coming as a baby was a new idea. It's hard for us to fathom, but she thought that Jesus was going to come back in the clouds in the sky on a horse and take care of all the enemies and set up his kingdom. That's what she thought. She, it had not crossed her mind that he was going to come as a baby. So she gets this message and she's processing it. She's like, okay, so how in the world is this going to happen? Um, it's not on our radar for Jesus to come as a baby. So she was processing. And because she's a woman, and I'm not making fun of women, because she's a woman, that's not the only thing she was thinking about. I don't know how this works, because I don't know if you know this or not. I'm not a woman. But women tend to think about different subjects at the same time that I would say wasn't even related to the other topic, but they relate them all through streams, and they just think in this particular manner. So they're thinking of all types of things. So they're not thinking just, how is this going to happen? How is God going to do this? Mary is also thinking, how is this going to happen with the plans that I already have? Like, I'm going to get married. There are wedding preparations that are happening. There isn't a lady in this room that doesn't understand what Mary's thinking at that particular moment in time. What am I going to do about my, my wedding? Let me give you a, a modern-day example. Everybody knows Hannah Hazelwood. We prayed for her to go to what country? Spain. Very good. I'm glad you are praying for her. That, that shows that you are. So she's over there in Spain, and she was making these preparations. Well, about two months ago, you may not know this, the guy that she was dating proposed to her and put a ring on her finger. And it's at that moment that all preparations for Spain got put on hold, and she started doing what? Thank you. Wedding planning. Now, don't think ill of her. Don't think ill of her. 
she's excited that she's going to be married. And she's thinking about all the things that are going to happen in that ceremony and what she needs. She, I can't list all these things. I've done a lot of weddings. But nonetheless, I mean, you know, dress. What is the bridesmaids going to wear? Are they going to match? Do I need this type of flowers? What do I need in the wedding? Are we going to have food? Are we gonna, not going to have food? Where is it going to be? Who's going to do the wedding ceremony? Um, who do we invite? Who do we not invite? You know, all this kind of stuff. And she's working on that. So she, she put everything aside and started working on that. And then about a week before she was to go, a group of people that cared about just, are you ready to go to Spain? She had not, like, prepared like she would have to go to Spain. Okay? So then... She stopped. She's still working on the wedding, and now she's preparing to go to Spain. She got everything done. She's in Spain, and she's doing ministry over there. But at the same time, what is she thinking about? The wedding. So how is she communicating back home to her parents? That, that's correct. It's about the wedding, right? Oh, come on. Come on, people. It's a wedding. Yay! So Mary is sitting here, and she's like, oh, my God, I'm getting... What is this going to mean for my marriage? Hold on a second. What is this going to mean for Joseph? When Joseph finds out, am I going to lose him? Like, that's going through her mind, right? And then she's thinking, wait a minute. If I'm pregnant and I'm not married and people find out about it, there's going to be some trouble. My parents aren't going to like this. The people around me aren't going to like this. And so she's thinking about this all at the same time. And so her question of how isn't a God's question of how. It's how in the world is this going to be accomplished? And so she asked that question. How is this going to be? And so the angel didn't rebuke her for it. This is what he did. He said this. So the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Now, she didn't ask any questions about that. And you and I look at that verse like, yeah, we understand what that means. Mary had no clue what that meant. What do you mean the Holy Spirit would overshadow me? In the Old Testament, when the Holy Spirit overshadowed you, you spoke in tongues. You did kind of different types of stuff. But what in the world does that mean it's going to come upon me? Well, somehow it's going to work out. I'm not really sure, but that's the answer they gave. And then the angel said, and behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. So that is a strange verse too. So you have how she's going to have Jesus be pregnant with Jesus. And then you have Elizabeth. And what that verse actually means is that, look, Mary, this is going to happen. This is the way it's going to be done. And we want you to know that the plan is already being fulfilled. Elizabeth is having John the Baptist that's going to announce the baby that you are going to have. The plan is already in motion. You are just the next step in the plan. Ladies and gentlemen, you and I are always the next step in God's plan of redemption. We are always the next step. We are not the fulfillment of the entire thing. We are already involved in a plan that started at the beginning of the world and is going to um, come to its fulfillment at the end of the world with Jesus Christ. We are personally part of the plan of God. And so Mary here is going to be part of a plan that's already in motion. And this is how she responds to that answer. In verse 38 it says, And Mary said, Behold, 
I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Let it be according to your word. It was not how am I going to be able to get pregnant? How am I going to be able to go through these events in my life that are going to be horrible? And I know they're going to be horrible. How do I get through the fact that I might lose Joseph? And if I do, what will I do? It's none of that. It is, listen, listen, Lord, I trust your message. Let it be according to your word. Let it be according to your word. This is not my plan. But I'm going to let it be, I want to let it be according to your plan, according to your word. Let it be. And I want to present to you this morning that those three words can change your life. Let it be. Those three words can change your perspective on life. Let it be. Especially when it comes to God and it comes to faith. Let me start with a story. Start with a story. A story, frankly, that was unexpected. Um, this past Monday, I had a couple visit me in the morning, about 10, 15. And the lady wanted to tell me the story, and she didn't know why. But as soon as she started telling it, I knew exactly why she was telling me the story. She had a son that left home, and he did not live correctly. In fact, there was times where he, he, he was in jail, and they bailed him out of jail. There was times that they got him lawyers and, and just to get him out of jail. And it's not just that. He was in jail, but he was also a drug addict, and he also drank a lot. And so he just was not living correctly, and his life was just, just going downhill really fast. And this mom, as every woman in this room would be like this, wanted to fix her son and get him on a better road. She wanted something better for him than just prison. She wanted something better for him than the drugs, the alcohol, and that whole lifestyle and the way that he was living. She wanted something better for him. And so she prayed, because every mama would pray, right? Every mama would pray for a kid that, that went down the wrong road, would pray and pray and pray and pray. But what she was doing was she was praying and trying to fix. She was praying and trying to fix. And she would pray and try to fix. But she could never fix him at all. And so she had a lot of stress, a lot of worry in her life because she was praying and trying to fix, praying and trying, trying to fix. Well, it got to a point where he had to go to jail for at least three to four years. There was no way out of it. He was going to have to spend time in prison. And at the point that he went to prison, she decided, and nobody knew this, including her husband, she decided one day a week to fast. And so she started fasting for her son because she cared about him. And she fasted and she prayed. Well, along the period of time where she was fasting and praying, she realized that she was trying to fix the problem herself rather than letting God fix the issue. Like as controlling as she wanted to be, as a fixer, she wanted to fix it and she wanted everything to be right. She realized during that fasting time that she needed to just let it be according to the word of God. And she let go of it. She still prayed for him, but she didn't try to fix him. She still prayed for him, but she left it in God's hands to work out that particular issue as God deemed correct in his own world. So she just let it be. And it's the moment that she let it be that peace filled her heart and she realized 
the time of fasting that she had, that she thought was for her son, was actually for her. So she gained peace from letting it be, letting it be in God's hands, letting it be according to his plan. Let him work out that issue that she could not control over. And peace came into her heart, and she was free. She was free. So in the course of events where he's, he's, in, the, he's in the prison, um, he finds Christ, and I believe that he received the Lord Jesus Christ as a Savior in prison. And he started reading, reading the Word of God, and he called his mom one day and started talking to her about Scripture, and she was excited about it. And what she realized was that God had done this, and she hadn't. When she let it be, God began to work. And so he found, he found Christ in prison. Now listen, all of us think this at this moment. A lot of people find Christ in prison, and they can't live it after prison. It's just a confession right there, right? It's just a check. He received Christ. He's doing better, all that kind of stuff. And so, so that's, that's a thought on your mind. So he went through this time in prison, and he got out of prison. And I wish I could tell you that he didn't go back to alcohol and drugs, but, but he did. But it was only for a short period of time. But during that period of time, two of his friends died in his arms. And another one died of an overdose. It's at that moment that he called his mom, and I think this was a conversation. He called his mom, and he said, I can't live this way. I want to live differently. And so that is when God gave his mom the go-ahead to help him with the next step. So they got him a house on a better side of town, and they only paid one month's rent. And they told him that during that one month, you need to get a job to support yourself. So he walked in the neighborhood looking for a job. And one day he stopped at a cabinet shop where they build cabinets in the back and, and stuff like that. And he stopped in. And he said, are you hiring? And the girl there, she said, we're not hiring. He said, okay. But through that course of conversation, he was able to talk to one of the owners of the company that said, yeah, we, and, and the owner came out and started talking to him. And the owner found out that he had estimated things in the past, like estimate estimates for businesses and stuff and that guy said well we've never had an in-house estimator maybe that's something that we'll hire and through the course of events they hired him and he became an estimator for that company with no background check no background check came became an estimator and since that time up until now he still has that job he has a brand new a girlfriend, and he's living his life a lot better than he used to live it. Come on. Ladies and gentlemen, that is what happens, not all the time, but that is what happens at times when we just let God do what he does best. We just leave our children to him. We leave our issues to him. And the moment we do that is the moment we have peace. You see, let it be according to your word is a stress reliever. Let it be according to your word is a stress reliever. Let it be according to your word. It's yours, Lord. And you just go through your day knowing that God is taking care of all the stuff that he can take care of. And he will let you know when you need to take your next step to help with that particular issue. But you never do anything outside of what God wants you to do for that particular issue. Because the moment that you start doing it your way is the moment that you step out of letting him do it. And you start 
to try to be the Savior yourself. And none of us are worthy enough to be the Savior. Only Jesus is. And so we let it be. So I just want to tell you, when she says, let it be, it's not this. Not this. It's not this. Right? And it's not this. Yeah, that's not it. Let it be. Okay, yeah, right, right. It's not that. It's actually letting it be. And let me tell you, it's a step of faith to just let it be. And I believe that there's people in this room that just need to let some things be. Some of you have issues in your family, and you've tried to fix these people for years. And come Christmas, you're going to try to fix them again. They're going to come to your house and they're going to do their little thing and they're going to be irritating and you're going to try to fix them. Bless their hearts, they can't be fixed by you. So just let it be. And going in, you just need to say, Lord, I know she's going to be there. I know he's going to be there. I'm leaving that into your hands and I'm just going to let it be. And you walk into that situation allowing God to take control of that. Some of us, some of us want to go in and fix it immediately. Like we want to go in and, well, if they do this, I'm going to do this. If you're already having that conversation, well, when they're there, if they do this, I'm going to do this. You need to take a step back and just let it be. See, you're part of the problem. You're part of the problem. There's some people in this room, some people in this room, that um, the husband is always trying to fix the wife and the wife is always trying to fix the husband. And let me just impart something. I'm just 26 years, so I don't know it all, but I, I think I know this. You can't fix your spouse. You can only fix you. That's all you can fix. And sometimes in marriage, the best thing that you can do is just let it be. There are times that I just let Nicole be. I just let her be. She, who, who she is, let her be. And there's sometimes that she just lets me be. I don't like that too much. I want her to interact with me when I'm upset with her. That's what I want. But sometimes she's a stronger person and she just lets me be. It is amazing when you let them be what happens in their hearts and in their minds. It changes the way you view them and it changes the pressure and the worry that is on your heart. Sometimes you just have to let things be. You know that person at work that you just don't like that irritates you tremendously? I don't work with anybody like that. I really don't. That's not a joke. I don't. We have great staff here. But you might have people you work with that just irritate you to no end. Just let them be. It is a step of faith. You see, Mary was about to go through a hard time. She was about to go through some pressure that you and I cannot even fathom the pressure that she would have in that particular culture. Pregnant, might not get married, not sure how this is going to happen. Future is just mixed up. And even when Joseph says that he will still marry her, there's still problems. They have to flee Bethlehem. There's a lot of stuff that has to happen. But the entire time, she is just saying, let it be. And if this particular day, if it's according to God's plan that I should have difficulty, let it be. If this should be a good day, let it be. Let it be according to his word because this is what I know. 
if it's according to his word, I will get through this day and get to the other side. My problems will be taken care of. I will get through the other side. They may still be the same problems the next day, but I'm just going to let it be because God obviously wants me to have these issues tomorrow. So I'm just going to let it be according to his word. And when he's ready, he'll make sure that the problem is solved and I will be able to move on. Let it be. Turn to your neighbor and say, let it be. Let it be. That, ladies and gentlemen, is a step of faith. Let it be. So, I want to read you this. Verse 37. Check this out. For nothing will be impossible with God. For nothing will be impossible with God. For nothing will be impossible with God. I know, it's something to learn with. <clears throat> it is amazing to me how little God has to work with, but when he works with what he has to work with, the great things he can do with just so little. Mary. She, she's 15, going on 16. Okay. That was lost in the other group too. Probably shouldn't. I am 15, going on 16. Da, 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 da. You got it in your mind now? Yeah, 15. Yeah, she, she might be 15 going on 16. There's not a lot to work with here. She is being told, ladies and gentlemen, that she's going to have the son of the living God. He is going to be the only perfect child in history. Sorry about that, Alyssa. He's going to be the only perfect child in history. So it's going to be easy, right? Because he's going to be perfect. But she has this on her shoulders. She's just 15, 16 years old. She'll have Jesus by the time she's 17. And she'll start with the Son of God, raising the Son of God, trying not to make any mistake at age 17. And we all go, oh my goodness. Right? But what God does is he, when he doesn't have a lot to work with, he does something great after that, out of that particular situation. Nothing is impossible with God. With God. So he doesn't have a lot to work with, but he does great things. Um, I look in the mirror sometimes. And wonder why, why in the world did he choose me? It's not a lot to work with. It's not a lot to work with. I struggle speaking at times. I definitely struggle with grammar, right? And then the list just goes downhill from there. Like I can list a ton of reasons why God should not use me. But for some reason, he takes what's just not a lot to work with in me and he does stuff great with me. It, it is absolutely amazing. Sermons to me are absolutely amazing. 
I sit here every week thinking it's going a particular way and hearing myself in a different way than what I even hear when I review my messages during the week sometimes. Sometimes I sit there looking at myself, presenting a sermon, and I think this, was that me? Am I in an alternate universe? What is that right there? That is actually pretty good, but that is not the way that I thought it went in my mind. Because this, ladies and gentlemen, is a miracle every week. God takes very little, he has very little to work with, and he does great things out of it. And ladies and gentlemen, it is the same for you. Whatever God has called you to do, there is very little to work with. If you are honest, there is very little to work with. But God does great things with very little to work with. Come on, church. God is a God of the impossible. And nothing is impossible with God. Whatever he's called you to do, it's enough of you to work with so that he can accomplish that purpose in your life. You will do things greater if you will just let it be and let God use you, even though you don't think you're enough, even though you don't think you're worthy enough, even though you don't think you're, you're educated enough, even though you don't think you're the right person, even though you don't think, you don't think, you don't think, God will take all of that and do something great with you if you will just let it be according to his word. Because nothing is impossible with God. And that includes what he does through you. Come on. God, if you're sitting here saying, God can't use me, I'm telling you, yes, he can. Nothing is impossible with God. If you are sitting here thinking, I have failed, 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 time and time again, and you feel like God is just done with you, I'm here to tell you that God can take you right where you are and use you for his glory because he works with very little all the time to do great things. He has a plan for you. And that plan is including in the plan that he started at the beginning of time that he's going to fulfill when Jesus comes back. You are a part of that. So step out and live your purpose for him. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the state you've given us. And... You know the people in this room. There's some people here today that are struggling over how their children are acting. I pray that this morning they'll just let it be according to your word and give them into your hands. And just wait for the moment that you, want to in, that you want them to enter back in to that particular situation. And then, Father, help them have the wisdom to just do what you want them to do. And then let it be again. There are people in this room that are having difficulties with family members. Might be difficulties in a marriage. 
might be difficulties with some news that they got from their, their doctor and it just wasn't according to their plan. They had planned to be healthy their entire life, but here they are. They're not going to be healthy their entire life. There's a trial to go through. They worry about it. It's on their mind. It's on their heart. It's on their soul. And I just pray that in this moment, they pray the prayer of Mary and just say, let it be according to your word. Pray that each person prays that prayer for whatever reason they're praying it for. That your peace and your life will enter their soul and the weight of all that worry and all that anxiety will just lift off their shoulders, lift off their souls. There might be people here today that are still grieving Still asking why. Why is this person gone? Why are they not still here? I miss them. I miss them. I miss them. And in this moment, I pray that they will be able to say, let it be according to your word. Not so that they will never miss them again, but so that they will miss them in a healthy way. Pray for people with jobs 